You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. We want to welcome you, everybody watching online, everybody new in the room, everybody maybe watching this later in the week, just welcome. We're uh, in third out of four weeks in this series on Abraham. We could have spent 12, but we're not. We're just going to focus in on the big pictures, and I think today will be enlightening and struggling and hard and good for all of us today. I know it's been for me. So I heard this tale, and I have to give a preface. I'm pretty sure this is not true, but I heard this tale that at one point, the Pope came over to the United States, and he got busy doing popey things, whatever the Pope does, meeting the people, blessing people, you know, kind of got to talk to churches and be, you know, kiss babies, whatever Pope does. I don't know. So his plans ran over and he was just busy doing his thing. So he sent his entourage on ahead, said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll catch a limo. I'll call a vehicle to come and get me and I'll make it to the airport. So he st- stayed later, but he was looking at his watch and going, I really got to get going. I'm not going to make this flight. So he calls a limousine and the limo driver comes to pick him up and he goes out to, to get to the car and the limousine driver's just floored, like, you're the Pope. He's like, yes, sir. He's like, wow. He's like, I really need to get to the airport if I'm going to make my flight. So they get in and the, <clears throat> the driver just kind of is moseying along. He's taking his time. Like, what in the world? So the Pope, after a little while, says, excuse me, sir, I really need to get to the airport. Do you mind speeding up? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, yes, Mr. Pope. But he didn't speed up at all. In fact, if anything, he slowed down because he wanted to soak in every moment that he was going to get to spend with the Pope. Finally, after a little bit of time, the Pope said, uh, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to pull over. And the driver pulled over. He said, now, I'm going to have to ask it. Will you allow me to drive to the airport? <clears throat> the limousine driver thought, well, this would be great. Like, the Pope's driving my limo. Sure enough, they switched seats. The Pope got in. He took off 45 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. He is flying down the road. Next thing you know, he saw some lights. Cop car pulls up behind him. He pulls over. The police officer gets out, and he walks up to the window and, take it back. Are you... Hang on. Walks back to his police car, picks up his radio. He calls his officer in command over him. And he said, sir, I, I got a situation here. Well, what's the problem, officer? I, I, I just pulled over a famous person and I don't know what to do. Well, what'd you pull him over for? Speeding. Well, give him a ticket. Just because he's famous or she's famous doesn't mean they get to get off. They have a ticket. I, I, I don't think I could do that, sir. What do you mean? Who is it? Is it a senator? No. Is it a governor? No. Is it the president of the United States? No. Well, who is it? I'm not sure, but the Pope is driving them around. They must be really important. Just to be clear, I found that joke on the internet. And you've never laughed that hard at my jokes. I'm just saying. But I'm guessing, even though I've never met the Pope, probably never will, I'm guessing the Pope gets just as frustrated at patience, just like I do and you do, right? In fact, how about this? Have you ever been frustrated at how long it takes for good things to happen to you? So if you're visiting with us today or you're watching online or maybe somewhere down the road, it could be months after this message, you're checking this thing out and and I'm asking this question, you're like, well, yeah, But what do you know? You're a pastor, right? Let me just tell you real quick, if you're visiting and you're not sure, every Christian in the room can relate with that question. Every single one. Because patience is a key component to faith. And God always seems to be on his own timeline. Did you know that? 
God actually has his own timetable. He's actually unfolding things according to what he knows and believes is best. The problem is we don't have his vantage point. We only have our vantage point and our situation with our lives. It's a patience, it's a struggle for all of us to deal with. And if you have been here at all, or even if you're just checking this out first time today, you would find Abram has the same problem that I have and that you have. Let's take a look at his story. We are going to be today in Genesis 15. And why, maybe if you pull out a Bible or an app, you want to flip there. Otherwise, everything will be on this little screen here for you if you don't know how to find it. No worries. But Genesis is the first book in the Bible. You can just go to, you see a big one five and go there. Here's the story of Abram. So we call him Abram, we call him Abraham because his name was Abram and later his name changes to Abraham. We'll get to that. But Abram is living in the land of Ur. It's a city or town, whatever, gathering of people of Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans worshiped many, many, many gods. They didn't believe in one God, a monotheistic God like we do as Christians. <clears throat> in fact, uh, Abram's wife, Sarai, has some connotations, some hints that she might actually be named after the moon god of the Chaldeans. Just to give you an idea, what that tells us is Abram is most likely not a believer. I can tell you for sure he's not a Christian. He has no concept of what that meant. But at some point and in some way, God comes to Abram and says, I want to do something new in the world and I'm going to do it through you. And literally, he says in Genesis chapter 12, basically this, I'm going to bless you. In fact, through you, all nations will be blessed. Your people will be my people. If you go to the land I will show you, I'm going to give all of it to you. And everybody who blesses you, I'll bless. And everybody who curses you, I'll curse. And we are told that Abram didn't even know where the land was, but he chose to go anywhere, anyway. Now, what's interesting is that Abram, we're told in the text, at that time is 75 years old. His wife, Sarai, is roughly 65 years old, and she's barren. And yet God has told him, I'm going to make you over many, many nations. In fact, through you, many nations are going to come forth. At one point, God takes him out and says, I want you to look at the dust on the earth, the sand on the shores. Can you count them all? That's how many your descendants will be. That's great, God. But I'm 75, and I don't even have one yet. And yet, Abram trusted God. Now, God told Abram, I want you to leave your land where you came from, leave all your family behind, and go to this land I'll show you. And Abram kind of did that, but he brought with him his nephew, Lot. And now, just to be clear, Abram was a good dude because he was responsible for Lot as the patriarch of the family. Lot's dad had died, and so the responsibility had shifted to Abram, and Abram believed he needed to fulfill his duty, his civic duty to his nephew. So he takes Lot with him, except the problem is when they get into the land that God showed them, there's a severe famine in the land. And so there's not enough food and resources to feed all of Lot's livestock and things and all of Abram's livestock and things. So now we got a problem. And the two decide to split and go separate ways. Now Lot ends up in a little town called Sodom, which is near another town called Gomorrah. You may have heard of it. And Sodom and Gomorrah go to battle. There's these five kings who go to battle against four kings. And Sodom and Gomorrah's kings lose to this other king, Ketterlomer. And what happens is Lot gets carried off along with all of his family and stuff, servants and resources get carried carried off as a part of this battle, this war that took place. Abram takes his young men, gathers a couple other local uh, tribes together, and they go whoop the bad guys, severely outnumbered, out-resourced, whoop the bad guys, and bring everything back, and bring Lot back safely, and put him back in his home, back in Sodom. That's where we left off last week at chapter 14. The reason that's all important is because of where we start in chapter 15. Let's take a look. Genesis 15, verse 1. 
After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Couple things, real quick. <clears throat> this, I've told you before, I'll tell you again, <clears throat> I'll tell you until the day I die or I'm no longer the pastor here at Kingsway. This is the most common command in the entire Bible. It sounds different in different passages. Do not be afraid, fear not, have no fear. In some passages it says, do not be anxious, Paul writes about anything, but in everything, through prayers and petitions, make your requests known to God. <clears throat> Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, today has enough worries of its own. So, just focus on today and let God handle tomorrow. But all of these things are the same statement. God is going to take care of it, even when you feel anxious, even when you feel scared. But here's the question, what in the world is Abram scared of? It's got lots of servants and lots of resources. He's just whooped the bad guy with very, very small army, if you will. They're not even really an army. He just whooped the bad guys. God is clearly with this guy. What are you afraid of? Well, <clears throat> scholars will tell you, we think there's two possibilities. There is a difference. There's a break in the Hebrew between chapter 14 and chapter 15. We don't really see it in the English, which leads most scholars to believe chapter 15 is a whole new idea. Well, it could be playing off chapter 14 and Abram's going, okay, I just whooped some really bad dudes in my land. They could all gather together and come after me and then what? He could be anxious and who would blame him, right? I mean, you get anxious about far less things than that. Presidents, war, financial statements, jobs, spouses, right? But there's something bigger going on, I think. We don't know because the text doesn't say, but some of the things I read listened to this week, many estimate that at this point in chapter 15, we've progressed roughly 10 years in the story. That means the Bible did a one, two, skip a few. He starts at 75, which means around here, he's roughly 85 years old. And the problem is we don't look like we're any closer to the fulfillment of God's promises, I'm 85, she's now 75, we have no kids. You said, you said that we'd have many nations coming from us. Are we gonna start that soon, God? But God comes to Abram and says, I'm your shield. Whether we're talking about enemies or future plans, God wants Abram to know, I will protect you. I will guard you. I will watch over you. And then he says, and here's the thing, if you've been visiting with us, maybe you gave your life to Christ and you're one of the 37 who joined Jesus at Christmas Eve this year, or maybe you're watching online, you're just not sure, like, I don't know, I think there's a, uh, an intelligent being somewhere, but I don't know anything about him. You need to know where God's leading you. He's leading you to the same place he led Abram, the same place he's leading me, the same place he's leading all of us, to understand that of all the things that God might do in you, it's to give you himself. See, this is hard for us, and it requires great patience because we make all kinds of requests to God. God, when are you gonna speed it up so I can just meet him? God, when are you gonna fix my marriage situation? When are you gonna make them finally say they're sorry? When are you gonna bring my child home? When are you gonna give me a job that pays my bills? God, I keep bumming a ride off everybody. When are you gonna finally let me have a car? Been there, done that. God is letting Abram know of all those physical blessings like land and wealth and prosperity that you can have, of all of them, Abram, I am your great reward, me. 
Take all those other things away. You still have me, Abram, you have everything. Add all those things in and take me away, and Abram, you have nothing. And I know this is hard. See, if you're not a believer yet, you're still asking questions, it doesn't sound like much of an answer, but it's because you don't realize yet where God is taking Abram. So let's just go deeper into the story and see what we learn. Verse 2. Oh, man, we're only on verse two. It's gonna be a long Sunday. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Ah, see, now we know what his fear is really about. He's less concerned about armies and bad guys, maybe. He's more concerned about the fulfillment of the promise that God gave him. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household was going to be my heir. What's going on here? Abram's trying to figure out how to solve the problem. Okay, God, you've given me lots of wealth, lots of resources. I have plenty, more than I could ever need, but I have nobody to give it to. A big deal if I live and I get rich and I die if I have no descendants to hand the legacy off to. So, God, I've chosen this man. He's my best servant, Eleazar of Damascus. And I guess he's going to get it all. And I guess you're going to fulfill the promise to him. But, God, that wasn't what I had in mind for what you meant when you said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. God says, me either. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. And he said, look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you actually can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I don't know if any of you men have ever gone hunting or hiking. I don't know if any of you ladies have gone camping before. You ever sat out away from a city somewhere, got under the stars where there's no light pollution, turn off all the flashlights at campfires? And you just look up and you go, whoa, where did all those come from? We have no concept here. We live near cities. So no concept. Even when you go out, say, past Danville and you get out there, even still, there's too much light pollution. You have no idea. Abram would have had zero light pollution. There were no uh, power, no indoor plumbing. I know, like, what's wrong with these people back then? Abram is out under the stars staring up at the heavens and going, that's a lot of stars, God. That's a lot of lights. And God's like, Exactly. You are going to have more descendants than you, you can even count them, can you? Exactly, Abram. Now, was God being literal? No. He wasn't saying you're going to have as many one-to-one correlation. He's saying, Abram, you're going to have so many. In the same way, you can't even count all those stars. You won't be able to count all of your descendants. There's going to be so many. And here's the most powerful thing, perhaps, if you understand what's being said here. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram took God at his word. I believe you, God. It's just that I'm 85. (laughs) I believe you. I just don't know where it's going next. And here's the thing. I need some of you to understand about God today. And that is this. God rarely will tell you the next piece. Kind of drives us bonkers, okay? I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I've been a Christian for much of my life. I I gave my life to Christ at 12 years old. So I don't know how you count that, but the 29 or so years ago, I've been a Christian now. And I got to say, God still drives me bonkers, Like, he doesn't pick up the phone and ask me what I think he ought to do in every situation. And I don't understand. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. God rarely tells me what to do next or what he's doing next. He tells me to trust, to have faith, 
And Abram did, and it's credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it's about to become really, really clear what that means. But here's a foretaste. What that means is this. See, what's about to happen in the story is Abram and God are about to enter into what we call a covenant. Now, a covenant is like a contract, but it's different in this situation, and I'll make that clear as we go. Think of a contract. If you were to enter into a business deal, now, sadly, today, there aren't enough people who have high integrity, so you can just go to them and say, hey, I'll do this, you do that, shake hands, and we're good. And so what we do today is we write up the terms of the agreement. I'll commit to doing this, you commit to doing this, you sign on the line, I sign on the line, we get somebody to notarize it, be a witness to it, and then we hold each other accountable. And there's usually consequences, you know, it's gonna cost this much, and if you fault here, then these things are gonna happen. There's attorneys in the room, they can explain this to you far better than I can, but that's the nutshell. And by the way, it's no different back then. It's just the whole process looked completely different back then. So here's what happens next. Genesis chapter 15, verse eight. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? In a nutshell, what Abram is saying right now is, I believe, I believe with all my heart, you will be my God. But how can I possibly be sure that I will be your person? How do I know? I mean, we're 10 years in. It looks not real possible. You tell me it is, I believe you, but how can I know that you're gonna actually follow through? I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I believe you, so I got this backup plan with Eliezer, right? And by the way, he and his wife keep coming up with backup plans. We'll talk about more about those next week. I don't know how you're gonna do this. God, it looks impossible. I, I believe you, but I don't know how you're gonna do it. Like, okay, I'm gonna make you my God. I trust, I'm gonna hang on to you. Are you gonna hang on to me? Are you gonna push me aside at some point? Have you ever wondered if God pushed you aside? Have you ever wondered based off the way life is going if God must have given up on you? I don't know how many times as a pastor I've heard people say, it just seems like I pray and my prayers must be bouncing off the ceiling because I talk and I talk and I talk and it's like nothing happens. Nothing changes. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one in the room. So God comes to Abram. I'm gonna have to summarize some of this. You can read it for yourself. You have your Bible open. God comes to Abram and he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a heifer, a goat, and a ram. Each of them needs to be three years old. I want you to get a dove and a pigeon. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna cut the animals in two. You're gonna split the halves and lay them on the ground. You're gonna take the birds and put them on the ground in the world is going on here? First of all, this would have been a disgusting, bloody mess, okay? Like literally, you're cutting animals in two. This wasn't happening quickly, by the way. You'd have to go track down the animals, bring them in, cut them in two. If you read the story, these birds of prey try to come and eat the carcasses and Abram has to chase them off. This is an all-day ordeal. There's blood everywhere. It is gross and it is disgusting. What's going on? The contract is about to be laid. That's in essence what's going on. 
See, in that culture, what would happen is uh, if somebody wanted to do a contract, they didn't have pieces of paper and autographs and notoriety people or whatever. They, what they had to do was they had to come up with a system. And so what they would do is something similar to this. We have some examples of this in Bible and history and other things, but we don't know a lot. We don't know why a heifer and a goat and whatever walked into a bar. We have no idea what's going on there. You're paying attention. All right, good. We don't know what's happening. We only know that this thing, this cutting, is to represent something. It's to represent a contract. Now, the way this would work in the culture is, basically, you would cut this open. There'd be a bloody mess. And then the two people, after they agreed to the contract, you do this, I'll do this, then they would literally walk through the middle of the pieces together. And this would be a visual sign that says, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, or if you don't keep your end of the bargain, you may do to me what happened to these animals. We have historical reasons to believe that, see, when there was a powerful king and maybe a lowly servant or a servant without very many resources, if they were to come up to some sort of deal they needed to make, oftentimes the lowly servant would pass through the pieces because the king has everything to lose. He's the one that's putting everything on the line, not the servant. So the servant would walk through the pieces as if the king were to say, if you don't keep your end of the contract, then I can split you in two and take whatever I want. Let's look at what happens next. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Okay, really quick. Oh, this is like a whole sermon I would love to teach. Maybe I'll do a Facebook video or something this week on this. There are two times that we read of thick darkness and sleep occurring in the book Well, once in Genesis, once in the next book, Exodus. One is in the garden. God separates light from darkness to deep darkness. And the other thing that happens is he puts Adam into a deep sleep, pulls a rib out. And then the other one is uh, on this mountain in the book of Exodus. God shows up and there's lightning and there's thunder. And the presence of God has shown up and Moses goes up to meet with God. Why thick, dreadful darkness in the presence of God? Well, number one, It goes all the way back to the garden. Again, I wish I had more time, but you need to understand the depth of our sin and what it caused in separating us from God. I get it. A lot of you here today and watching online, you're not even sure you believe in God, but just take what little you think you know of him, what little you think you understand of him, just like Abram early in his story, and just think for a minute about those very stars that God told Abram to look at. Go just look up sometime V.Y. Kenneth Majoris or U.I. Scuddy. Just go look them up. They're just the biggest stars that we have found today. They're not even the biggest things in the universe, and they're not probably even the biggest stars, just the biggest ones that we've even located. They're massive balls of radiating heat, thermal fusion, just crazy power behind them. And the God, we believe, the God who spoke all of those into being by the word of his mouth, put all of those up in the sky, and then got down to the nitty-gritty details of our lives. Yeah, he's big, and he's terrifying, and he's powerful. And sin has separated us from him. But not forever. Genesis chapter 15, verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And all of you ought to clap because that was impressive, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They teach you in Bible college, say it like you know what you're saying and nobody will care. What in the world just happened? Here's what happened. According to typical standards, Abram and God needed to walk through these pieces together. They're making a contract. Well, what's the contract? What's Abram's part of the contract? Well, as we will see a little bit later today, go to Genesis 17. Don't go there now. I'll take you there in a minute so you can take my word for it and then I'll show you. Abram's side of the contract is simply this. Abram, you walk blamelessly before me. The King James Version says, you walk perfectly before me and I will fulfill my promises of the covenant for you. Okay, come on, Abram, you and me together, let's walk through these pieces. But Abram's in a deep sleep. He hasn't moved. Wait, wait, remember that other analogy where the great king and maybe a servant, you go through the pieces because I'm putting everything on the line here. You walk through the pieces and if you don't keep your end of the bargain, I'm gonna destroy you. Instead, God takes Abram, he puts him in a deep sleep, he pushes him over to the side and he says, Abram, I'm going to give you this land and I'm gonna fulfill every promise I told you. Why did God walk through the pieces alone? I love the way Timothy Keller says this. He says, this is God saying, I will take up the curse of the covenant for both of us. In other words, it's God saying, Abraham, may I be cut off if I don't keep my end of the bargain, and may I be cut off if you don't keep yours. Maybe that didn't mean anything to you. Was Abraham perfect? Oh, no. (laughs) You only need to read the five or six chapters dedicated to Abraham to hear that he's a liar, a deceiver, that he's oftentimes offered his wife to save his own life. He's a great husband. He doubts God all the time. He's questioning things. Oh, in war, he murdered some bad guys. Is Abraham perfect? Does he walk blamelessly before the Lord? No. Just like me. And just like you. See, maybe you don't know the gospel story, but this is the gospel in a nutshell. Why a smoking pot and why a fire? Why? We don't know why God chose those analogies. What we do know is it's likely Moses telling this story. He's writing it as God reports it to him on Mount Sinai and Moses is writing it down. And if you remember in the story of Exodus, when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, he led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. And I think God is connecting these dots. So these Egypt, or sorry, these um, Israelites who've been in Egypt, brutalized as slaves, could know, man, God told me this was gonna happen. God told me he was gonna do this. How do I know? How do I know that God's with How do I know in a desert God's going to show up? How do I know that he's not done with me yet? Because you already did it to Abraham. What is he doing? God is promising to fulfill his side of the contract and yours. 
So that when you sinned and when you rebelled and when you went against that darkness that was terrifying because it was the presence of Almighty God, rather than crush you in his wrath, he took that same wrath and he poured it out on his son. This is why we read in Mark chapter 15 that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, it literally says, read it for yourself, I think it's verse 33, a deep darkness came over the land. And Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he's carrying the curse of our sins. This is why in Isaiah chapter 53, we're told that he was pierced for our transgressions, that his, through his stripes, we are healed. We're literally told he has been cut off from the land of the living. It's the gospel. The gospel means good news, that though we have sinned and though we have failed and though we have transgressed our Father's heart, he said, don't worry about it. I'm gonna take up my responsibility and yours to bring you back to myself. And I feel like we have got to stop and thank God for that right now. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go right into a time of communion and we're not done. We're just gonna pause. Communion servers are gonna go out right now. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to spend the next few minutes talking to God, okay? You're just gonna prepare your hearts for this. You're gonna pour out whatever it is. You're gonna say, thank you, God, that you took up my sin and paid my part of the contract, that even when I failed, you redeemed me. We're gonna take the juice and the bread together, so don't take it, just hold on to it. If you're visiting with us today, I just want to say, look, this may be totally weird to you. I get it. Don't worry about it. You can just pass it on. Or if you want to take part, great. If you're watching at home now or later on, run to the refrigerator right now. Grab some crackers and whatever juice you can find. Go ahead and talk to your heavenly father. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Father, we thank you that instead of giving us what our sins deserved, you gave us your best. (laughs) You gave us our great reward, Jesus. Father, we're sorry for the times that we've disobeyed you, rebelled against you, didn't trust you. We're sorry for the way that our sins have hurt others that we love and care about. We thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, we pray that this bread we're about to eat is a reminder right now of the mercy that is in Jesus. I'll take the bread together. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, with this juice that we're about to drink, we remember 
that the blood of Jesus literally washes away our sin. And as far as the east is from the west, you will remember them no more. So God, we thank you. It's not that our sins and the impact of our sins literally disappeared. It's that, God, when you look at us, you see our lives covered by the blood of Christ. Father, today, I pray like Abraham, we would just believe you and accept that. Let's all drink. should be able to find a holder for your cup in front of you. Now let's jump back into the book of Genesis. We're going to pick up in chapter 17. I'll tell you what happens in chapter 16 next week. But when we arrive at chapter 17, only two chapters later, we literally have done a one-two skip a whole bunch. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 says this. When Abram was 99 years old, all right, remember, this journey started, he was 75. Simple math tells you that's like 15 years in the future, right? A lot of you went to Bible college, all right. (laughs) When Abram was 99 years old, we were 24 years in the future. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will, be, and will greatly increase your numbers. Remember what I told you. Abraham's side of the contract was be perfect, be blameless. But he wasn't. But God's covenant was a contingent on Abraham's perfection. God's covenant was contingent on Jesus' perfection. But now we find ourselves at this moment, he's now 99 years old. Again, I don't want to get too deep into this. I'll talk about it later. He has a son. It's just not Sarai's son. He, he and Sarai came up with a plan to try to come up with a baby. So they took Sarai's maidservant and he had a night with her and she got pregnant. Because Abram's still trusting or still struggling to trust God, right? I mean, it just seems like when God is taking so long to do what you've been asking him to do, you better take matters into your own hands, right? As my dad used to say, because God likes prayers with feet on him. And I don't disagree with my dad. I don't think God just wants to sit around and pray. Okay, God, why don't you go feed hungry orphans somewhere in the world? Like, why don't you go feed hungry orphans somewhere in the world? I gave you legs. But in this case, God wasn't telling Abraham, you better go figure this one out. I mean, you're in your 90s. It's gonna not be able to happen now. God said, no. I gave you my word. I would not fail you. So God comes to him and he says, I am God Almighty. Why now, God? You read it for yourself. God, just bless Ishmael, the one he had with Hagar, the maidservant. Just bless him. We're good. You've been good to me. You've been faithful. Just take care of him. No, I made you a promise, and I intend to fulfill it. The word there, I am God Almighty, is in Hebrew, the phrase El Shaddai. 
By some estimations, uh, the, the first or second most common name for God. It's the name that God used for himself before he goes to Moses and says, I am Yahweh. This is the name most commonly used to describe God. We don't even know exactly what it means. It's got hints of majesty, power, might, sufficiency. Do all those things go together? Kind of, but not really. I mean, they kind of contradict each other. Yeah, that's because in the Hebrew, there's uh, connotations in the word itself that mean mountain. And you're like, uh, I'm confused. Well, you wouldn't be if you lived near mountains because you would understand majesty when you look up and you're like, wow, those are big and beautiful. Mountains back then were often used for protection. You would often move in near a mountainous area because it's harder for the enemy to climb and, and to attack. So you use them as kind of a backdrop. Not only that, but throughout the Bible, people are building temples on top of mountains because they're just, you're closer to God. It's just, they're beautiful. They just show power and display might. But not only that, in the word Shaddai, the first word Shad, literally in Hebrew is the word for breast. And before you think I'm weird, what God is saying when he looks at Moses is in the same way that a baby is absolutely dependent on mom for care and food and provision. Moses, you are, or Abraham, you are to me. And every time you've cried out like a little baby, I've been there. And I picked you up and I held you in my arms. And I cared for you. Because Abram, I am your great reward. I am El Shaddai. But I'm 99, God. Why has it got to take so long? And here's the hard part for Abram because it's the hard part for me and it's the hard part for you, right? I don't know. I only know that God was doing something in Abram that didn't have to do with what God was doing when he was 75 or 80 or 85 or 90 or 95 or 99. That's all I know. God was doing something behind the scenes in places we may never know of because history never recorded it, but God was preparing everything for that perfect moment. God was getting Sarai ready. God was getting Abram ready. God was organizing all of time and eternity because see, when we look at life, we look at today, right here, right now. What do I need? What do I think you need to do for me for life to work out the way I need it to work out, God? And God's going, no, I got a bigger view than you do. I'm looking at 20 years out and 50 years out and 100 years out and 1,000 years out. See, I know the end from the beginning. And if I can know the end from the beginning, then I can actually know the steps in between and how it's gonna go. And I've got it in my hands. Just need you to trust that when the time is right, I will do everything I have promised to do. Abram gets it, <laughs> perhaps better than any of us could ever get it. Genesis 17, verse three. At this, Abram fell faced, face down on the ground. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram, at the sound of the name of God, fell on his face. Why? In worship. He was humbled. I realize all this time I have been completely dependent on you. I never sought you. I never came after you. You came after me. I didn't come and find you and say, would you bless me? You came to me and said, I want to bless you. 
I was deceiving and lying and cheating and not trusting and oh, we're gonna see the fruition of that. If you, don't, if you just come to Kingsway next week and choose never to come again, just don't miss next week because it's the fulfillment of a man who finally gets how good God is. They really can trust him with every ounce of his life. And in this moment, he just falls down before El Shaddai and realizes this God is both unbelievably powerful like a mountain and unbelievably tender like a mother. He is truly tough and tender. He's everything you need in every moment for him to be. He is all sufficient for you. But here's the thing you need to know. See, this is the journey that Abram's been on, right? Guy who didn't know anything about God to now here we are almost at the end of his story, not quite there, but 24 years in. And finally, Abram is starting to get that God's promises come with changed purpose. Abram, early you thought it was just gonna be me doing something cool to bless you, make you rich or whatever, give you a great family. No, 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 no. Abram, I'm about to do something in the entire world. Go read Luke and Matthew. Go read any of your New Testament books. They all attach Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise that God has been giving to Abram. Through you, all nations will be blessed. It wasn't about giving us uh, Israelites, Hebrew people, Jews in the world, although they've done many great things in doctors and hospitals and, and movies and Hollywood and all kinds of things. No, no, no. It was about giving us Jesus, the one who would fulfill the covenant and allow his body to be torn in two for our salvation. Through Abraham, all nations were blessed because God's promises came with a changed purpose. And I wonder, I wonder if we understand that God's promises for us still come with a changed purpose. I get it. When you, when you came to Kingsway, when you, when you came to faith, maybe you had in mind that God was going to do something nice for you or bless you, or maybe you just knew that you needed to have this relationship, and if you could just appease him and make him happy, he'd show up and do things for you. But then you started hearing that he didn't just want to do things for you. No, he wanted to do something in you. He wanted to transform you, to change you. And he still wants to do that today. Take a look with me at Genesis 17, 5. God says, what's more, I am changing your name. You're what? Can you do that? Well, I am God. Okay. <laughs> it will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. What the world is going on here? Well, Abram means something like exalted father. Most likely, he got that name from his dad, his earthly dad. Remember the one that we're told in Joshua 24 too? that he worshiped many false gods, that dad, and God told Abram, get away from your home, get away from dad, get away from everybody, come to a land I'm gonna show you. So he's probably named after his dad who was important, significant, maybe wealthy, had lots of resources, probably where Abram got his resources when dad died. So he's named after his earthly dad, and God says, no, no, no I'm not gonna name you after him, I want you named after me and my promises. So now I'm inserting one little Hebrew uh, letter into your name, Chet. You're like, what does that mean? Chet. It's a Hebrew letter. It's the same letter in the word we talked in our first week, Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the same letter. And that one letter changed it from exalted father named after your earthly dad to father of many. You are now Abraham. Why is that even relevant? 
Because in order to say that letter, you actually have to breathe out. You can't breathe in and do that. Try it. You'll choke. (laughs) And it's because it's a small reminder every time his name is said, I am the one breathing into you this life. So that every time you tell people, you don't call me no Abraham anymore. Abraham. It's a reminder. I have been changed by God. What a crazy man. Could you imagine going to work the next day? Hey, 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 Abraham, what do you want us to do with these livestock? Abraham, the old guy's lost it. (laughs) He's 99. He thinks he's going to be the father of many nations. No, I don't think I know. How? It's impossible. Nobody could do it. But God has a new purpose for me. My life has new meaning. There's no relevance to what I'm doing because what I'm doing in the world is gonna change everything. And so how do I do that? What do I need to do? Well, I need to stop taking matters in my own hands. I just need to trust him. I just need to have faith that God's not finished with the story. And when he's ready, doing whatever it is he's doing behind the scenes, he's gonna go, bam, there it is. And we'll look at that next week. And here's the takeaway and I'll close. See, some of you need this because you have not yet given your life. You've not professed your faith in the God of Abraham. You've not yet trusted in Jesus as the one who split his body so that you could be made whole. And I'm telling you, don't leave today without doing that. We wanna talk to you about how. When we're done singing in just a moment, you can go to my left, your right, and we will meet you down there and just talk to you about how to give your life to Jesus. Listen, some of you sitting in this room, you've been believers for a long time, but you've been struggling with patience with God. And what I need you to do right now, I just need you to hang on. Don't give up on God. I don't know what he's doing next. It may get a whole lot harder and a lot more lonely, a lot more painful before he brings about whatever it is he's doing, but he's good. He won't fail you. I promise that much. Don't quit. And the rest of you, Maybe you know somebody, a family member, a friend, a coworker that desperately needs this message. And maybe when you leave here, you need to pick up your phone or call or text somebody and say, look, I just, can, we go, can we grab breakfast tomorrow? I'm gonna buy. I just need to encourage you. I know you're going through a really hard season. Don't give up. God's not through. Why don't we all stand and uh, just give glory to the one who is our Shaddai.